welcome to another episode of the Converge Challenge podcast. I'm Colin Gray, your host from last season, and we're coming out with a few more episodes now from the Converge Challenge, talking to entrepreneurs that have been through the Converge process, finding out how they start their business, uh, getting as many tips as we can from them around the whole process of starting up, escaping academia, getting some funding and figuring out how to run a whole business around your idea. Now, this time around, we're talking to Dr. Dave Hughes from Novasound, who was a previous winner of the Converge Challenge. Now, Novasound was the first spin-out company to emerge from the University of the West of Scotland, and it's trailblazing a new technique to mass manufacture printable ultrasound sensors. So I'll let Dave jump into how they differ from other sensors on the market and how really the difference that they came up with made it easy to sell, to raise funding uh, and really to build a business around the whole thing. Dave delves into everything from his tips around how to spin out your company from academia, the challenges there, to running a funding round. Uh, They managed to raise twice as much as they originally expected, so you can tell it was a bit of a success. But we'll jump into it. Let's let Dave explain it. First thing I did was to ask Dave, what really separates their ultrasound sensors from the other products on the market? So let's see what he had to say. Okay, with Novasound, we have a strap line or a tag that we use that says that we're pushing the limits of ultrasound imaging and measurement by exploiting thin film technologies. And it's the thin film technologies that makes our sensor different to any other sensor that's out there doing ultrasound. Most sensors currently are using a 40-year-old technology that's machined and difficult to manufacture. But by switching to thin films instead, you have mass manufacturing with very cost-effective price points, but a whole suite of other benefits as well. So it's really changing the manufacturing process of the sensor is the unique part of the Novasound technology and where our IP kind of lies. Yeah, okay. And what are a few of those benefits then for working in that way? So if we're focusing on the, let's look at the medical sector to start with, which is where we're not currently operating, but the drive is to move us there in medicine. Ultrasound images have quite a reputation for being pretty difficult to understand what it is you're looking at. They're pretty poor quality compared to their sexy cousins of MRI or micro CT, etc. And partly that's just down to the resolution of the sensors when they're machined. If you switch to thin film, you get inherently higher resolution, which allows you to do MRI quality images, but with an ultrasound scanner instead, which is cost benefits as well, because a MRI machine might cost you several million pounds and it has to be full infrastructure installed. Uh, ultrasound scan can be done at the bedside for you know, sub £50,000. So there's huge resolution and cost benefits in that sector. We are currently selling our sensors into the industrial inspection and continuous monitoring market or non-destructive testing. And there we have a number of benefits. Cost effectiveness is one of them, but really it's the flexibility. So a thin film material is very bendy, so you can wrap it around objects. Nothing on an aircraft these days is flat. So if you have a rigid probe, you can't inspect it properly. If you have a bendy probe, like a thin film one, you can bend the probe to suit the curvature of the hull of an aircraft. Mm-hmm. And then the biggest uh, one that we're chasing at the moment is all about high temperature. 
So the current sensor's material that you use breaks down at high temperature and means that the ultrasound efficiency drops out. We have, with the thin film, no such limit, so we can keep our probe or our sensors connected to hot pipes or hot infrastructure for long periods of time, enabling continuous monitoring at elevated temperatures. And therefore, you don't need to shut down the rig or the platform or the pipeline to do your maintenance. And that will save, you know, I think it costs the industry something like $3 billion a year from shut shutdown. Right. So we, our sensors are kind of the solution to that. Excellent. I mean, that sounds like uh, it, it's not often you can find a product that offers the pair there. You've got higher quality and lower cost. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, only, I mean, until uh, you get one or the other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the benefit of what we're kind of doing at Novasound. And we have meetings with various big players who are currently selling the ultrasound sensors to the established market. They, they hate us <laughs> we were coming in and flip, flipping it upside down with this kind of <laughs> new technology that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very disruptive. Or yeah. It has the seeds of being disrupt- disruptive. I yeah. think in the next yeah. few years it will really come to fruition. When, when you're selling something like that, there's a danger that, you know, there's, that. I mean, that sounds too good to be true to me in, in some ways. Are you finding that? Like when you go and actually yes. sell this to companies, what, how do they react? Both of these markets, the non-destructive testing and the medical ones, are really old, set in their ways. There's lots of inertia, and we're coming as these kind of uh, little business from the west coast of Scotland, yeah. you know, coming to try and bring on the big players. But one of the key things that we know that we have to do on this market is because we're a startup, and there's a lot of kind of hype around startups, and Novus definitely had a lot of hype at the start. We've always been very satisfied with ourselves that there's no smoking mirrors here. So if we're in front of a customer, we do our pitch, we show them it, or we show them the pitch, the presentation, and they're still not convinced, but we've always got a box with us to actually demonstrate it so they can see it for themselves. Every trade show we do, we make sure we have a living, real demo. So if they're skeptical, they're not skeptical by the end of the visit because yes. they've seen it. And yeah. that's that's the key bit that we've always done. We know that you know the if you're on Twitter, look at entrepreneur stuff coming out of Silicon Valley or just any of the kind of big tech advances. It's all about tech grows and this you know, in, yeah. increased valuations for dreams that never actually come to anything. And uh, what we are very much aware of at Novasound is that we have to be quite stoic and actually you know show what we're what we're doing because then yeah. it, it becomes smoke and mirrors, and that's a dangerous place to be. Absolutely, absolutely. I'd imagine it was very difficult before you had a working prototype, like a lot of exactly. people can demonstrate, a, a, you know, a, a very early product, but that must have needed yeah, <laughs> a yeah. finished product to sell. Well, we, we recently had a customer come to visit the facility in BioCity, just as in Glasgow, and we had a customer come who was looking to talk about high temperature stuff and uh, we showed him that and thought yeah that's good that's good and then we we're talking about the flexible probes and he goes oh but i think uh, i think you're underestimating or how, how difficult it is to do this it's going to take you many years to actually get that working we did a five minute lab tour showed him the working prototype and sat there going wow <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, that's kind of we're a very very fast going company we started six people a year later we're 15 yeah. And we're looking to double that over the next year as well. So everything we do is at rapid pace. Yeah, yeah. And on the ultrasound front of that, when we get people saying it's going to take you so long to get that tech working, 
when you move away from machined sensors and start designing on computer and printing them using the thin film processes, you increase your speed by like 10 times. And that's kind of one of the other parts that we sell. The, the reason we've been able to sell products in our first year has been because we can offer much uh, shorter lead times for the products. So we're talking six-week turnaround for a probe, whereas our competitor who's a big global company, they've got 12 weeks up to 24 weeks for the same product. Really? Yeah, so, that's, that's definitely a disruption. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, part, part of that is, that, you know, when you only have one or two customers, you can deal with them better yes. than if you're a global company with thousands of customers. So we accept that we have to scale but for the moment, we're getting the early revenues in through being a fast, agile company. Yeah, use that to your advantage, absolutely. What were you doing when you came up with the idea then? Right, I was an academic at the University of West of Scotland doing a bit of physics lecturing, but also I had one research group into high-frequency, high-resolution ultrasound, and that came out of my PhD back in you know, 10 years' worth of research going on making high resolution probes using the manufacturing, the old manufacturing methods of machining. At one point I moved over or started looking at thin films instead to move away from manufacturing and um, to move away from machining. And it just became so much easier. I could make a large number of probes. It used to take two weeks to make one and then it might not work. So I had another two weeks to go. Now I was making like 10 in a week type thing. So it really changed the scalability of manufacturing. I got a Scottish Enterprise grant uh, as part of their high growth spin-out pro programme. So over two years, we were given just shy of half a million pounds to develop it inside the university. And uh, at the tail end of that, that's uh, when we entered the Converse Challenge. But the main thing that came out of that was I met my business partner, Richard Cooper, who had a long history of entrepreneurship. So one of the big advices I'd say to anybody that's kind of doing it is to make sure you have the right team around you. And it really helped us, the, myself as the academic, who you know, has a different view on life than most academics, it has to be said. Uh, <laughs> and Richard, who came from, he, he was a founder, co-founder, and the commercial director of Cascade Technologies, which was a spin-out from Strathclyde University, and their biggest success story is a spin-out exit. So they sold to a blue chip in 2013, and he stayed on at the blue chip for a couple of years, didn't like it, wanted to start the journey again, and was introduced to myself, who was just starting out, trying to find out, could I commercialise Novasound or commercialise the ultrasound research I was doing? And we put together a business plan, that was probably submitted to Converge, one Converge, and then the following February we opened an investment round and then spun out of the university. So that's kind of a potted history. Indeed. indeed. Of how it worked. <laughs> what well, it sounded like you had you had a bit of support before you applied to Converge already. Uh, what, what made you apply for Converge in that, in that case? Uh, probably incessant pestering by the Converge team, really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think they'll mind me saying that, but uh, I think there was about three different workshops where they'd asked me if I wanted to go in for it because that was before I got the Scottish Enterprise money. And it was I was thinking about it at that point, but it was so early stage. I don't yeah. know if I would have got anywhere with it or I may have gone in for the lower categories. And then again, once the grant started, they get asked again, but it was so early that if we'd have won it or got anything out of it, we'd have to wait a while before we spun out to, to yeah. actually make use of it. 
And then the third time, lucky, I guess, we just decided, yeah, let's do it. The time's kind of right. It helps us validate the business plan in advance of the business uh, investment round. And then we kind of just went for it. And we, I'm not a big person for awards or going in for prizes. Really, I, I, I've, I've got different kind of different views on what the effectiveness or what the use of them are. But if you find the right time to go in for one and it's got a, a decent enough support package to go with any eventual cash prize, yeah, then yeah. then you can make it work for you. So as the judging panel and there's a bit of esteem behind it, you know, it's it's not just a prize if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think Converse definitely ticked those boxes for myself that was comfortable enough that the amount of time and energy going into it would actually be worthwhile for the business yeah. or for my own academic career if the business didn't happen as it, as it kind of went to really put us right to the centre of kind of uh, the ecosystem that we're trying to spin out the company into. And yeah. Yeah. UWS has never really had much success in the Converse Challenge up to that point. I think they got into top 30 the year before. And then the year that we went in the top six, there was another finalist in the top six as well from you know this perceived small university so it was a real boon for them and then obviously to have the winner that year as well it did a lot for the university which helped us in negotiating the spin out as well just as this is actually on on the cusp of something you know some research with UWS is actually potentially going to disrupt huge markets so uh, yeah great stuff What, what do you think was the most valuable thing you got out of that process the converge process Definitely just uh, this whole concept of validating a business plan. You can write business plans in a, as part of you know, academic KPIs and potential spin-outs till you know, you're blue in the face, but unless you actually get in front of an industrial panel who is made up of quite difficult people and uh, <laughs> you know they will tear it apart. I remember walking out of the, the final uh, judging panel and saying to Richard, right, well, I torpedoed that. Oh well, <laughs> you know, and it was it was it was so such a difficult interrogation about not just the tech but the whole business model. So you know, a big strong believer that you need the technology is third place in terms of you need the team, you need the timing, and then the tech comes and the converge panel and all the advice you get of the sessions just to kind of make sure that what you're doing is not just a, a way of showing some really good technology it actually yeah. has to be a proper business model and you know you've actually thought about it that if you're doing a me- medical ultrasound sensor you're not going to spin out on a thursday and have sales by the monday <laughs> it's actually making sure that you've thought that a medical device is going to burn and burn and burn cash yeah but yeah. have you thought about early revenue streams or what's the license model or their oem sales is there data <laughs> you know there, there's so so much stuff that by the time we i mean the the business plan that we used for the investment round wasn't a million miles away from what it was that we submitted converge mm-hmm. the value of the ask was a wee bit bigger so the converge one was 500k and then we opened the business round uh, investment round at 750 and that was just because we realised we maybe underestimated how much we'd need. And but the actual vision of we're going medical in three to four years, but we're doing non-destructive testing, industrial measurement now, was very much set in stone. Uh, we ended up, you know, we, we asked for seven hundred fifty thousand, but we closed at one and a half million just because I think we through the converge and the validation we were able to really answer a lot of the investors 
questions in a way that yeah. got them excited and the round kind of ran away with itself. Excellent. I, I definitely, I want to come on to that. So talk about the funding round. I'm really interested in knowing more about that. But just before we get to that, you, your comment around unexpected um, elements coming from academia, certainly. I think that's one of the one of the things that crops up and certainly in Converge a lot and, and wider uh, than that too, is that kind of transition from academia to business. <laughs> How did you find that transition? And was there, what do you think was the most unexpected part of that? I think, I mean, I've, people have kind of, since we've just closed out the first year of Nova Sound, people, you know, there's a lot of reflection, people asking how I'm getting on and stuff. And this is, by and large, the best thing I've ever done with my career uh, or just in my life, really. This kind of, you, you switch a different gear, everything happens faster. You, I'm not saying you're constantly firefighting in a startup, but it, it can feel like that a lot of the time. But it's going so much, you get so much more impact faster with the technology and you meet so many great people around you who want you to do well. The academic uh, ecosystem, I have to be careful where I can phrase this, <laughs> is it's a, a small pool and especially in Scotland, the pool of funding is less and there's a lot more competition and there's a lot more maybe narcissism, egotism going about the place. The it, it becomes very defensive and a bit, there's lots of jealousy and lots of kind of competition where there shouldn't really be competition uh, arising. As soon as you get out into the startup world, that kind of disappears because you've kind of, <clears throat> you kind of put down your flag and say, we are doing this. And if somebody else was doing this, we wouldn't have been able to do this. So you've got the confidence to do it. And as I say, the support network outside of the university system is so much more open I feel I feel I've really been able to grow into what I want to be since I left the university you don't have as much levels of management above you when you're at the top of the business <laughs> you know so yes. it's uh, and I, I think you know well, at UWS it's, it's a different type of university to the other universities we, we would not have been able to do the Novacin project at another university like at St Andrews or Strathclyde or Glasgow in the same way that we did it at UWS. I was just a postdoc research fellow at UWS. So in theory, I shouldn't have been able to be running the high growth project myself, that a professor or an actual academic should have been running it. But UWS do things differently. So I was able to lead that project and take it the way I needed it to go. The spin out was different because of just it's a, a younger university this was the first spin out so there was lots of rules that could be broken i think richard and i are even though we're very different types of people we have a lot of strong alignment and that allowed us to do the right thing right and bend some rules reinforce others to get us going and universities breed rules and uh, yeah. you get so many of them but maybe it was a bit easier at uws to to break free from that yeah. And that's what I kind of went with my outlook on kind of life with uh, as an academic was kind of different to other people around me that uh, maybe I needed to get out. I think it's the way I look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was was there anything during that process that you 
learn particularly that you would pass on to anyone else doing it i mean we, we've yeah we, we you hear so many trouble stories about spin outs trying to escape the universities and and then hitting the business world but yeah any advice you have for them i think the, the main bit and it used to be that when i was asked what could people what could the converge or the rest do more for a spin out so i always used to say they just need to give more money more support more money but really i'm now realizing looking back how out of my depth i was with the whole idea of negotiation and you know when i buy a car i buy it for the price the salesman gives me it whereas in business that's so wrong <laughs> everything absolutely everything is negotiable and I just wish that I'd been given some training on uh, on that over the years. Richard, my CEO, is and my business partner is probably the best negotiator I've ever seen. You can get something out of any deal contract, and you know that that was partly how how we did so well. And I've learned so much over the last year in where red lines or grey lines are. That if I was doing a master class or giving advice back to somebody trying to do the same thing at an earlier stage, I would say go and don't bother going to patent or IP courses. They're useful, yeah, but you can go to one and you kind of know what a patent is by that point. Go to go to a course on how to negotiate. Go to these awful, awful courses where they say, sell me this pen. You know, and it's just like that kind of <laughs> bit of business that isn't spoken about too much. A lot of the academic spin-out or entrepreneurial support courses are all about raising money, putting a board together, uh, finding your market, all this stuff, but it doesn't actually have the basic, how do you get somebody to do something before you yeah. that is beneficial to both? And I think that that's the key bit, um, uh, kind of, especially in the, in the move from academia, where you just get told what the professor wants you to do, etc. Yeah. Yeah. The fight back, I think I think I was yeah. a lot out of my depth, but having a seasoned negotiator like Richard next to me was able to kind of push me and, and say, no, no, go back and ask for this. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's really interesting. Actually. Yeah. There's the, the much more strict, I suppose, <clears throat> excuse me, guidelines of academia that, yeah, that maybe tie you into that, isn't it? You expect that this is, this is solid. These, these guys, these um, barriers are, are there, they're not to be jumped. <laughs> Whereas as soon as you jump into a business, suddenly uh, it's far more flexible. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the first price that you're given when you're buying something is not the actual price. That's yeah, the, indeed. the key bit. And yeah. Especially when you're buying a thousand of them as opposed to just one. Exactly, yeah. And if, <laughs> if you're buying one of them, it's much dearer than if you're uh, committing to buy a thousand, but you might only buy 200 of them. So you ah, can always... I see. Well, there's a, tip, a secret tip <laughs> yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, let's jump to the funding then. I'm really interested to talk about that. I mean, you you said that in your original Converge application, you were thinking half a million. Then you raised that to three quarters, 750,000 when you actually went to start the round. What was the difference there to start with? Like, What, what was it you think you underestimated? So one of the things that happened between Converge and opening the deal was we got to create advanced stages of negotiating a contract with a global company so that increased the value of what we were trying to yeah. do. But then also it meant that we, we had to look again at what we actually needed in order to deliver on that contract. 
So we needed an extra two bodies. We needed to move into bigger space. We needed a wee bit more equipment. And we wanted to give ourselves a wee bit more contingency, maybe a wee bit of uh, more runway to allow us to really do what we wanted. What, what we needed, yeah. you, you can always, I think 500 would have been enough, but it would have been so tight. And we would have just, as soon as the deal finished, we'd get started and Richard and I would be back out asking for more money because I think it gave yeah. us like a, a 15-month runway or something. 750 allowed us more comfort to do what we want, wanted to do without and, and travel. You know, they, a lot of it was, they kind of said, well, you're a global company, you have to get out there. So th- there was other considerations to actually allow us to do what we needed to do comfortably. Yeah, and so we kind of looked again and uh, topped up budgets up to seven fifty, so that we could yeah. give ourselves. I think it moved up to about eighteen to twenty four months runway. Yeah, a uh, bit more breathing space. Exactly, and allowed us to focus on running a business, getting off the ground, get the first sales in, and then you know, in fifteen months or eighteen months, then start looking at another investment round uh, to. You know, to, to, to then scale up but at least we weren't uh, hand to mouth for the first wee while yes indeed yeah how did that so how did that process begin like how much time do you think it took you uh what were you doing during that process like can you tell me a bit more about just what it all involved uh, so with the scottish enterprise grant we were under the first year of that <clears throat> was all proof of technology proof of concept of getting the technology to a level where you could actually say we have something and then the second year was all about proof of business, proof of company. So Richard and I, the first, Richard and I met in May 2016 and we had to off immediately. And like, we probably started planning the business at that point. We, I remember one of the first times he was working, he was working two days a week for those two years. And the first time he came into the office to actually sit down and start planning, what are we going to do? The question we asked each other was just like, what do you need to build a business? And right from the bottom down, you know, you need a team, you need a patent, you need a, a internet, you need a, a spreadsheet, you, need, you know, and it was just building up the basics of these are the things that need to be in place in order to yeah, have a business. And then when you start totaling up how much this costs, you know, then you get your first stab of what how much money you actually need. And then you talk about well, what customers do you have, you build up that. And, you know, it was really, Rich and I actually, so we did that over two years and then wrote the business plan and spun out. We now do this almost like monthly, every yeah. month or so. Rich and I leave the business for a day and go off and do the same thing, but in a much bigger, you know, where we're now a team of 15, so it's very much what do we need to do to keep people employed. Yeah. And uh, But the same way, we don't we don't really use the, the tools that we're taught at, at these courses, like business model canvases and all that kind of stuff. We just sit down and say, in order to keep the lights on and in order to get where we need to go in four years, which is the exit, hopefully, then what do we need to do? So if we're going to exit four years' time from now, in a, in a year before that, we need to have extra revenue. The year before that, we need to build. You know, And, it, and it's all just, you can't do it from, what do we want to do this year? What do we want to do next year, the year after? Because then you don't know where you're going. You have to have a, a firm view of of where you're going so you can target it so when we first sat down at our first meeting it wasn't so much uh, what do we need to do to build a business to sell in five years after spin out so that was seven years time it was very much what do we do now in order to raise well at that point it was 500k 
of investment to get out in the university. So what do we need to do to spin out and then you build from the bottom up, never from the top down, always from the bottom up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, How did you find the fundraising process itself, actually getting out there and talking to investors? It was, I mean, so doing Converge, EIE and the other ones, you know, there's so much focus on the one minute pitch. And then when you get out to speak to investors, you realise how much that's all entertainment almost and the rest of the investor stuff is just conversations it's yeah. it's sitting down around a table with very wealthy individuals doing a presentation that they'll ask questions all the way through so your 10 minute presentation or your 10 minute pitch is now a two-hour conversation and it's just really getting into making sure that they know and have comfort in the team so it was always richard and myself doing the pitch yeah, I sure. I do the pitch effectively for the first two thirds of it, which is all the tech and the building of the markets and stuff. And then Richard will come at the end about the actual money, and the customers, and the governance and the investment round part, uh, just to show that yeah, you've got this academic with the science idea, but it's underpinned by a safe, steady pair of business hands. Yeah. And that kind of worked well. And then the questions that come up, and Richard and I kind of feed off each other quite well. We know when to answer, when not, and when to let the other person answer. So it, it comes across as really natural. And then, you know, things just went so fast. It was, we opened in February, our business plan. got circulated, The executive summary got circulated in February and then we closed on the uh, 6th of March, uh, 6th of April, so uh, six weeks <laughs> later. And we had to close it at that point. It was in the tax year, but also the value of the investment round was just going up and up and up because yeah. we were asking for 750. We pitched on a Wednesday to our main investor, but the Friday we had a term sheet for a million, and then the numbers just kept kind of going up and up and up. <laughs> and obviously, that, that has the valuation is fixed, so you can't adjust that, which means as, yeah. the, as the investment raise goes up, your dilutions becoming quite heavy. So, we, Richard and I, had a kind of a sit down meeting aside, you know, just to kind of take stock of what was actually happening around us because you know, I was spending most of my time in Edinburgh and I'm a Glasgow person so that's quite a, a culture shock and we just had to say what is going on why you know in a good way absolutely good way but if we go up to two million which is where it was looking at then we're losing so much of the business in terms of equity let's let's stop at 1.5 and then we'll know that we've got people who are missing out this time so we've got a pool of investors later if we run into trouble and 1.5 is a good total to get us to where we need to go there were conditions on the extra raise of you don't just get extra money for nothing there was stuff the investors wanted us to do or maybe expand further on so part of that was the original business plan was all about manufacturing at university and it was the investors' view that they'd prefer it if we were our own manufacturers and brought that all in-house. Mm-hmm. So we're currently, we've just moved into a 10,000 square feet facility and we've just installed our manufacturing equipment. So that's, uh, that was £350,000 uh-huh, okay. uh, of equipment that's now getting commissioned uh, down the corridor from where I'm sitting now. <laughs> and... Uh, that, that was part of it. So, yeah, we raised a lot more, but we had to spend a lot more because they want to see their money getting spent. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So it's, it wasn't just more of what you'd already suggested. That extra three quarters of a million was actually for something brand new you hadn't considered. Exactly, exactly. It was all about bringing the IP in-house so it allowed yeah. us to uh, trigger the assignation on day one, effectively, yeah. of the IP yeah. so that Novasound owns the IP yeah. and then also bring the manufacturing in-house to secure the IP as well. 
and then just allow us to the comfort and the ability to grow the team that's needed to do what we say we're going to do. And yeah. we've been fairly successful with that so far. So. <laughs> well, yeah, sounds like it. I mean, congratulations on that. Like, that must have felt good to get that validation, certainly, that enthusiasm it did. from investors. Yeah, I remember, I mean, I literally, I don't know if I told anyone about this yet, but I kind of, uh, we signed it on the 5th of April, 6th of April was when we signed the, the deal. We went out for a great uh, a night out uh, with the team, the existing six member team yeah. all went out and then I got back to my house I think I got home if I went was it I, it was a late night so I must have got home about three and then went into work and then came home and then I saw my wife and uh, I hadn't seen her since like two days because I'd been in Edinburgh the whole time and she'd left me a card and a bottle of champagne and uh, a present and I broke down in tears just because it was such a emotion it, it was a, a you, you go through the ringer yeah, yeah. to, to do the, and it's so fast and everything's changing and from that as soon as you sign it off it's like I'm no longer an academic now I've completely flipped it around and I've achieved something that's way bigger than I ever thought I was ever going to achieve and it, it's in it's not tears of sadness at all it's yeah. just it's just letting it out that you know you, you kind of something big has just happened and yes we're in control but we're not really in control because we don't really know what's going to happen now and it's got implications on my career my my life my family life everything Absolutely. and uh, and you kind of basically think what the hell have i done <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those i know from uh, my own experience as well it's one of those where lots and lots of little steps over even one or two years suddenly there's one big event like you say your must have been your funding for you and you suddenly realize what all those steps have have added up to <laughs> yeah and it just comes home to australia and uh, <laughs> And then, so that, that was a Thursday, and on Saturday I was on a flight to San Francisco as well. So it was, there was just absolutely no time to, and that was for work as well. So there was no time to stop and think about things. It was just like on we go. Yes. And I think Rick, while I was in San Francisco for two weeks, Richard was off sick for two weeks just because yeah. we we'd ran ourselves down so much to get. Nobody thought we'd be able to do the deal in six weeks. Even our lawyer was trying to put terms into it to make sure that there was contingency for things didn't happen in the time scale we said yeah. but again it comes down to the drive that Richard and myself have just to get things done and get things over the line and basically do what we say we're going to do excellent excellent so what's next then what does the next uh, sort of three to six months look like for you uh, th next three to six months actually going through the investment round all over again oh, so okay. <laughs> we've just uh, we've just uh, we're now at the stage where the we're just over a year old and uh, we've got sales coming in but in order to get to the next stage in the business we're just about to open our series a round and the executive summary is getting sent out in the this week uh early next week just to the existing investors hopefully will come along for the next part of the ride and we're bringing some new investors as well just to scale the company we're 15 at the moment we're about to double over the next uh 12 months and then a wee bit more over the next year after that so there's a lot of uh, exciting products that we're about to launch in the next 6 to 12 months as well and really just you know, most of what we do at the moment is R&D on getting the stuff, the, the products working yeah. so there's a lot of expansion in the R&D team for that and yeah, there's excellent. quite a, a massive uh, 
grant that we've just been awarded that I'm not going to say much about because we're going to be uh, doing a bit of press over that. Yeah, sure. But that, that's, uh, that, that kind of will form the cornerstone of the investment. Yeah, and yeah. it's quite quite exciting, quite a, a large amount. So it's quite a, we're quite amazed that we got that over the line last week. Great stuff. What do you think you'll be, be your uh, What do you think will be your biggest challenge over the next twelve months? Recruitment. So yeah. we we kind of we've signed up to bring in seventeen new R and D staff over twenty three months, and we need to find <laughs> seventeen. <laughs> yes. It's been the biggest. Uh, the it's point. been the exactly. It's been the biggest challenge up to this point because. And I don't mean in terms of finding the right skills at Scotland and the UK and EEA for the moment, who knows what's going to happen there, uh, has definitely the right skill set of people. There are electrical engineers, software people, hardware. There's people out there that can do what we need. But Novasound has quite a, a culture that's it's a great place to come to work. I think the team enjoy being here. Yeah. And if you can be the, the greatest person in your field, but you just don't fit the culture, you can't work in a startup. It's like a clubhouse almost. And we need to, one of the goals or aims that Richard and I have put together for the coming year is not so much install culture, improve culture, it's just preserve culture. And the biggest challenge is going to get these 17 people who have the right skills, but also are the right type of people that work at Novacent. So that's that's the biggest challenge, juggling that. Yeah, yeah. It's a common one I hear as well. So good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously uh, sell more stuff and grow the revenues from last year. That's the one the investors want to hear. Indeed. But, uh, so that's the plan. Absolutely. Well, congratulations so much on everything you've done Thank so you. far, Dave. And good luck with the next year, and the next four years, in fact, if that's what you're planning. That's the plan. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, thanks very much for your time. And we'll talk to you next time. Okay, thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Converge Challenge podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to know more about the Converge Challenge itself, find out more about the competition or even enter it for your own business idea, pop over to convergechallenge.com for all the details.